You're listening to The Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny Goldberg. This is Lenny Goldberg, and thanks for joining me today. The IDF is plowing through Gaza now, and um, we're losing boys every day. The problem is those tunnels, the underground city that the Gazans built. All the air bombing that the IDF did in preparation for the ground assault was really just like mowing the grass. The IDF is trying to get to those tunnels, but one of the main tunnels is where a major hospital is, where the hostages are, where the Hamas high command and the stockpile of weapons are all in that area. The IDF knows where it is. They can probably blow it up too, but they're not going to do that. And a big part of the problem is, is the American involvement here and Joe Biden. He is putting the brakes on Israel at every turn. This is a guy who's still for the two-state solution. He's been funding Iran and the Hamas since he came into office. From the outset, Biden was making a moral equivalency between innocent Arab civilians and the Jewish civilians. From the outset, he was calling for humanitarian aid for the Gazans. So you have what they call a humanitarian crisis. And Biden, he's putting, he's putting the blame on Israel. They got to handle it. Why doesn't Biden go to his buddies in Egypt and all those Arab countries and NATO countries and ask them and pressure them to take in the poor Gazans? Why doesn't he use U.S. leverage to do that? No, Israel's got to solve the problem. Biden nudging Bibi all the time, sending more trucks of humanitarian aid, sending more trucks. That's Biden's priority. And more trucks mean a massive resupply of the Hamas. Now, here's something worse. Before Israel sent in the infantry, what do they do? They made sure to turn off all the communications in Gaza. Smart move. Finally doing something right. Use our tech advantage to stop them from communicating with one another. Good move. And a blackout like that would stop them from spewing all their propaganda to the world. So the Gazans started to scream about it. Hey, you can't black us out. Nobody will know what's going on. So what does Biden do? He demands that Israel restore their communications. And that way, the Hamas terrorists can talk to one another again and plan how to kill IDF soldiers. So, of course, Biden, you know, is an empty suit. This is the Obama playbook. Everybody knows he's the continuation of the Israel-hating Obama administration that wants to see the annihilation of Israel, the pro, pro-Arab administration. And yet, the Israeli government continues to acquiesce to their orders, knowing the Jew-haters that they are. You know, if it was Trump, let's say, you know, Trump did good things for Israel when he was in. He shut off the faucet for Iran and for the Hamas. He was a real pro-Israel president when he was in there. And so I can see that if it was Trump demanding it, it would be hard to say no. And by the way, in a certain sense, that's what makes Trump dangerous to Israel. How can you say no to a guy who genuinely helped you? He's got leverage, right? But Biden, you know he hates you. You know his party is being driven by that Hamas caucus of AOC and Talib and all the other direct that sits there. So if you know that the Biden administration isn't looking out for the welfare of Israel, the opposite really, how can you listen to them? When do you finally say to him, you know, go to hell, go back to Washington and just stay out of our business, you Arab-loving, basket-case, pathetic loser. The whole world knows you're a joke. And the scary thing about all this is, is this going to turn out to be another Lebanon war? like a kind of a Vietnam situation where we're going to lose boys every day in the mud of Gaza? Are we going to have protest movements like Arba Imahot, like had back in the Lebanon war, the four mothers protesting the war and demoralizing the nation and the army? 
because if this drags on and we lose soldiers every day, we're going to start seeing those protests in Israel to get out of Gaza, just like what happened in Lebanon. And so the IDF has to be quick and ruthless. It has to ignore the CNN and the MSNBC and American demands. Just do what you have to do to wipe them out. Not just the Hamas, but Gaza. And the scary thing is that the IDF really doesn't have a goal here. They don't have a plan. You know, if the plan was to conquer Gaza and make it Jewish and bring Jewish sovereignty to the place, that's a goal. You can fight for that. But if it's just to dismantle the Hamas, that's just not enough. Has the Israeli government already decided under American pressure to withdraw from the Gaza after our soldiers have bled and died to take Gaza back? Is that our goal there? And so everybody continues to pray, say psalms, massive prayer gatherings and Tehillim. Jews all over the world united in prayer for the welfare of our soldiers and that we win this thing. And sometimes you got to think, when we're praying to God, what are we praying for? Didn't God give us the means to win this thing? We have the means. We got the weapons. We could turn off the water, their electricity, the communications. If we really want it, we can win. If we're not afraid of what the Goyim say, we can win. If we had a real goal in mind, if we went B'Shem Tzfakot Yisrael, if we fought in the name of the God of legions, he'll be by our side. So what are we praying for? Didn't God already give us the weapons to win it? Isn't this the same army that beat five Arab armies in six days? Sometimes I think God is saying to us, what are you praying to me for? Just go do it. I gave you all the means to do it. I gave you the Kalim to do it. Stop praying and start doing it. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. When the Jewish people were at the Red Sea with the Egyptian armies coming towards them, the Jews were crying out to Moses. Moses was crying out to Hashem. And then Hashem says to Moses like this in Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, Vayomer Hashem Moshe, Mati Why are you crying out to me? The barrel B'nai Israel, speak to the children of Israel, V'yisau, just go forward. You hear that? Hashem said to Moses, Mati what are you yelling to me for? Just do it. Go forward. And this is what Rashi says on that verse. Moses was standing and praying. And the Kodesh Baruch said to him, This is not the time to spend so much time praying. Because Israel is in distress. And that's why Hashem says, Just go Speak to the children of Israel and go forward. And so we can apply the same principle here. This isn't the time to sit and pray. Just go ahead and wipe out that Arab scum. Now, of course, I'm not saying not to pray. Of course, we pray. Of course, we read Psalms. But let's just think of what we're praying for. Because again, God gave us all the means to defeat them. We just have to do it. Whether it's cutting off their electricity, their water, their communications, whether it's using the technology that the IDF already has. They have flamethrowers that would literally race through all the Hamas tunnels and burn everyone hiding in them. And so Hashem is saying, why do you cry to me? Just go forward. Turn off their electricity. Turn off their water. Turn off their communication. What, you want me to do it for you? Hashem is saying, starve them out of there and open up the southern border. Widen the border. Bomb the Philadelphian gate. So it's not just through Rafiq. And they can just leave for Egypt. Just put sandwiches on the other side of the border after they're starving to death. There's a lot of things you can do. Why are you crying to me? 
I want to talk about the anti-Semitism that's raging across America and throughout the world. And it's amazing the chain reaction that is set off when Israel is either attacked or attacks. It just sets off a chain reaction of events amongst all of world Jewry. The anti-Semites come out of the cracks and we're suddenly one people. The more that the Jews win, the more that the Jews bomb Gaza, the more it's going to just intensify. Even the good average American who wants to see the Hamas get destroyed. But the minute it becomes uncomfortable for him and this war rages on and the Arabs continue to riot. And you know, eventually there's going to be a terror attack in America. God forbid. But the border's wide open. Everybody knows that the Muslims are coming through freely. Even the FBI is warning about a terror attack. You think the American people are going to want to hear about Israel bombing Gaza and making it worse for them? So we could talk forever how Israel is the little Satan in the Arabs' eyes and America is the big Satan. And it's true, but that saying, it's not going to work forever. When things get uncomfortable for the Americans, as the Arab rioting continues and it becomes uncomfortable for them, they're going to start to say, you know, the hell with Israel. They're just making it worse. Whatever happens, it's not going to bode well for the American Jew. As Israel becomes more aggressive and they're described as the aggressor, and the memory of October 7th fades away and the anti-Semitism is only going to grow. And America in general is in chaos. The economy, the borders wide open, the crime, and the Jews are always going to somehow be in the middle. America's unstable. When it's unstable, that's bad for the Jew. So all I'm trying to say here is, Jew, go home, come home to Israel. There are still LL flights, thank God. Yeah, we're in a war, but over there, it's more like a pogrom and there's nothing you can possibly do. Here, you can get a gun and fight at least. At least here in Israel, you can get a gun and, and go out in a blaze of glory and die on Kiddush Hashem. It's a lot better than getting pushed on the subway tracks by some, by some homeless guy. And so that's my very creative Aliyah pitch. Come to Israel and die on Kiddush Hashem instead of getting gunned down in some shootout in Chicago or New York or getting pushed on the subway tracks. Come home to Israel quickly before it's too late. How's that for an Aliyah pitch? Moving on, as believing Jews, we always want to get clarity from looking at our Torah. And this week's Pasha, we read Pasha Vayera, and we see the very origins of the conflict between Yishmael and Yitzchak, between the Arab people and the Jewish people. We have Yishmael, the son of Hagar, and he's living under the same roof with Sarah and Yitzchak, and the verse is like this. And Sarah saw Yishmael, the son of Agar. What was he doing? He was mitzachek. And the sages teach us, what does it mean he was mitzachek? Well, that's the word used for the golden calf sin. He was involved with idol worship, sexual immorality, and shvichut and violence and blood spilling. And he was very dangerous to Yitzchak. And Sarah saw the danger. And she realized the problem here, that Abraham wants Yishmael to be the one who inherits the Brit of Amr Vavinu, that he'll be the continuation. Sarah knows that's a big mistake. So she says to Abraham, Expel, drive out this woman and her son. So she gives the solution right there. Expel him, drive him out. She doesn't say to burn him. She doesn't say to abuse him. Just get him out of here. But Abraham, he's a man of chesed. And after all, it's his firstborn. 
So the verse says, and this greatly distressed Abraham regarding his son. He didn't want to do it. So what happens now? Well, God is going to get involved. In the very next verse, God is going to get involved and he's going to give a psak halacha. And it's the only time in the entire Torah where you have an argument between two people and God himself comes down and gives the psak. He settles the argument. As the verse says, and God said to Abraham, don't be upset over this. Just do whatever Sarah tells you. Heed her voice because it is through Isaac your offspring will be considered yours. That is Isaac, he's the inheritor, not this Yishmael. And listen to Sarah, she said to throw him out. You throw him out. So we see the wisdom of our Parsha. People sometimes say, why am I always looking for the action in the Parsha? Every time I'm giving a Parsha Shavuah, and I get this a lot of times if I give a Devar Torah in the Shul or whatever, why are you always looking for the places where it talks about vengeance and throwing out the Arabs or talking about the nations and wars? Why can't you stress other parts of the Pasha? Obviously, the Pasha talks about a lot of things. You could learn so much about chesed and how to conduct yourself as a Jew and be a better person. Why am I Devar Torahs always focusing on this stuff? Well, for a couple of reasons. You already have enough rabbis who talk about all that other nicer stuff. You got Torah tidbits if you want it. So somebody's got to fill the gap and stress the need to fight for the land of Israel, to fight against the nations when you have to, to talk about vengeance and the destroying of evil out of our midst. And it's not like I'm looking for it. It's not like a reach, you know? I mean, it's just right in the Pasha, throw out the Ishmaelite. It's not a Midrash or anything. I'm not using Kabbalah. I'm not looking for it. It's right here, black and white. It just keeps showing up. What can I do? So again, not enough people talk about it and it's critical to our survival. And so again, you got to fill a need. There's enough people who are going to talk about the nice stuff and the positive stuff, about the nice ideas you can learn from the Pasha. I get it. But what we're talking about here, about burning out the evil and separating from evil and fighting your enemy, that's a huge tenet in Judaism. And if you don't do it, you're not going to be alive to enjoy all the other nice Pasha tidbits that you're going to get. And so you won't be able to learn the other nice vorts and devot Torahs about how to be a better Jew, how to conduct yourself with chesed and kindness and all the other things that we learn from a Pasha. First, you got to live. The Jewish neshama has to live inside a Jewish body. And so we're trying to save the body. Once the body is safe, we can start stressing all the other nice parts of the Torah that talks about Musar. Then we could put the emphasis back on developing your neshama. But first off, you know, let's protect the Jewish body. Of course, the highlight of Pasha Vieira is Akedat Yitzchak, when Abraham is told to sacrifice his son Isaac. And maybe I'll tell a little joke here. How does the story of the Akedah begin? Vayomer, Hashem said to Abraham, Kachna et bincha, take your son, et yechitcha, your only son, Asher hafta, that you love, et Yitzchak, Isaac, and go to Eretz Moriah. So why is the verse broken up like this? Take your son, your only son that you love, Yitzchak. It seems kind of superfluous. God could have just said, take Yitzchak. So the Midrash says like this, and Rashi brings this down. Abraham was told by Hashem, Kachet bincha, take your son. So Abraham asked, which son? So Hashem said, et yechitcha, your only son. So Abraham said, I have an only son from Hagar. And I have an only son from Sarah, 
I got two only sons. I got Yishmael and I got Yitzchak. So Hashem said, Asha'ahavta, the one that you love. So Abraham said, I love them both. I love Yitzchak and I love Yishmael. And so Hashem said, Et Yitzchak, take Yitzchak. That's what I'm talking about. That's the Midrash. And so Rabbi Kahana once made a joke like this. He said, you know, the problem with Jews is they're always asking questions. They're always asking too many questions. Why did Abraham have to ask all those questions? He should have just taken Yishmael, slaughtered him, and that would be the end of the story. Anyway, just a little levity to break the tension. When it comes to the atrocities that these Hamas animals perpetrated on our people, they themselves filmed what they did and it got out there on the internet and it was pretty graphic. More horrifying than any horror movie you'll ever see. And many rabbis suggested that, that we shouldn't watch these video clips because we're playing into the hands of the Hamas. They're filming it to demoralize us, to scare us, to weaken us. And so we shouldn't be watching any of these video clips. And that sounded right to me at the beginning. But then I got thinking, you know, right after it happened, when it was fresh in our minds, when I was davening, I was davening with such kavana. I wanted to see Nakama so bad when those scenes were vivid in my mind and it was fresh and it just happened. And I know what they did to us. Weren't we davening with a lot more fervor that this Arab scum will be vanished from the earth, that our soldiers won't get hurt. Everybody was praying with their heart and soul. But then time passes, you know, and the atrocities kind of fade away out of sight, out of mind. It's not that you forget it, but it becomes less vivid because that's what time does. The time passes and the memory fades. And so I think we shouldn't let that memory fade. We should remember what they did. So I'm not saying you have to view every video clip of Jews getting raped and murdered in the most torturous way. I'm not saying that, but keep it fresh in your mind. Just remember what they did. At least listen or read about what they did. That they went into a house. They tied up the father and murdered him. They turned on an oven, put a baby in it. And while the baby was burning, they raped his mother multiple times. Yeah, I think you should remember that. We shouldn't let that fade away because it helps us hate the enemy. And if you don't hate the enemy enough, you're not going to fight him enough. Even the Americans in World War II, they made propaganda movies and documentaries and the whole purpose of it was to make you hate the Germans. Because again, if you don't hate them enough, you're not going to fight them enough. And that's why when Rabbi Kahana wrote his epic book, They Must Go, all about the Arab cancer in our midst that have to be removed, he basically opens it up with a graphic, detailed description of the Arab massacre of Jews in Hebron in 1929. He describes it blow by blow, and it is brutal. It's hard to eat after you read it. It's hard to sleep after you read it. And so why did the rabbi write the graphic details of the massacre in Hebron, 1929? Because if you don't read the details, then you don't really come to terms how brutal the Ishmaelites are because that's the only way it will become in your mind real. Because it's only when you give the details you can imagine the horrors. Only then can you understand what the Arab para Adam is all about. And the rabbi is trying to avoid further massacres. He's trying to beat it into our heads. They must go. Because if they don't go, this is what's going to happen. What's going to happen? This. That's why he has to give the gory details. Because Jews, they don't want to look at it. They don't want to think of unpleasant things. They're thinking that if I look away, the problem will go away. Right? That's why we have bypass roads everywhere. Bypass Hawara. We won't see the problem. That means it doesn't exist. The bypass reality road. And so I do think it's important 
every once in a while to refresh your memory, what they did to us on October 7th. Because if you don't, you start to lose your edge. Your intensity in davening goes down. Your intensity of hatred towards the enemy goes down. And we want to keep the intensity level as high as possible and not get complacent for a minute because we have to remember who we're dealing with. A savage, sadistic enemy, para Adam, and that has nothing to do with the Hamas. Do you remember what happened to the Fogel family in Itamar? They did to the Fogel family what the Arabs did on October 7th. Who did it? Hamas Nikim? Arabs did it. Because that's what he is. And God forbid we forget it. And if we do forget it, it's at our peril. Moving on. This past Thursday was Rabbi Kahana's Yortzeit, Yudchet Cheshvan. And there were a couple of Haskarot and Yortzeit events, and they were full as usual. The young people especially, who never knew Rabbi Kahana, who never saw Rabbi Kahana, they're attracted to his truth, the truth of his words, the authenticity of his Torah, his vision. And back in 1999, for the ninth Yortzeit of Rabbi Meir Kahana, Arut Sheva broadcasted Binyamin Zev Kahana, the rabbi's son, who spoke about his father, and it was Parshat Vayira, the Parshat of the Akedah, and Rabbi Binyamin Kahana, speaking about his father on his Yortzeit, he brought the Midrash that deals with Akedat Yitzchak, it's Midrash Pirkei Dark Eliezer. It says in the verse that on the third day they arrived, that is Abraham, Yitzchak, and the two boys, they arrived at Sufim, right? That's what it says on the way to the Akedah, when Abraham is taking Yitzchak to bind him and, and slaughter him, as Hashem asked him to. And it says that they saw the Shekhinah, the divine presence, on the top of the mountain. That's what the Midrash says. They saw the Shekhinah on the top of the mountain. And the verse says like this, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from afar. So that's a kind of a strange verse. On the third day, he raised his eyes and saw the place from afar. So the Midrash asks, what did he see? He saw a pillar of fire that was leading up from the ground to the heavens. And Abraham said to Yitzchak, his son, my son, do you see anything on those hills? And Yitzchak said, yeah, I see a pillar of fire leading up from the ground to the heavens. And at that point, Abraham understood that the boy was desired by Hashem to be an offering. And then Abraham said to Ishmael and Eliezer, do you see anything in those mountains? And they said, no. And so Abraham considered them as donkeys. And he said to them, Shvupo imachamor. That's the verse in Pasha. Sit here with the donkey. What does that mean? He said to Eliezer and Yishmael, sit here with the donkey. Because he said to them, just like a donkey doesn't see anything, you don't see anything either. So Binyamin Kahana says that there's a tremendous lesson here. After all, why is Yitzchak so special for seeing the pillar of fire? He sees what Eliezer and Yishmael don't see. But what's it their fault that they don't see the pillar of fire? Maybe they don't have good eyesight. Why call them donkeys for that? So obviously, we're not talking about just an ordinary seeing. We're talking about the power of sight, the eternal spark. Some people are donkeys, static and transient, here and gone tomorrow. We're talking about vision. Yitzchak is the one who has the vision. Yishmael and Eliezer, they're like donkeys. You see, the ones with vision, like Yitzchak and Abraham, they see things which the pragmatic, myopic, now people types don't see. It's a matter of vision. You see, the donkey, what does he see? He sees the food two feet in front of his face and that's it. Anything beyond that doesn't exist for him. And that's what made Rabbi Meir kind of special because he saw things which other people couldn't see or just didn't want to see. Why? Because it scared them. Because it's always more pleasant to look at the here and the now and the immediate benefits that you can get. And that's why most leaders just kick the can down the road and, and continue 
the status quo. And so Rabbi Kahana, like Abraham and Yitzchak, he saw the pillar of fire. He had vision. And I want to read word for word what Binyamin Kahana said that day on the radio. He says like this, Let us learn this lesson today on the yard side of my father, the man who was ready to pay the price for seeing the pillar of fire, the price of the walk to the Akedah. Let us finally see the pillar of fire and not succumb to the plague of pragmatism, which threatens to turn all of us into donkeys who only see the straw in front of their noses. Let us remember that we are not the descendants of the donkey Ishmael and Eliezer, but the descendants of the seers, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So yeah, Rabbi Ghana had vision. It wasn't a matter of being a prophet, but it was a matter of seeing things that other people don't want to see. And of course, one of the rabbi's major messages was not to rely on America. It's part of our gullus mentality that we're always considering what will the nation say, especially America. Do you know that every day, a hundred trucks of humanitarian aid flow into Gaza? And just yesterday, they found in those trucks special tanks of oxygen to help the Hamasniks inside the tunnel so they can breathe. So we know what's in those trucks. If you want to be humanitarian, why don't you help the hostages? Anyway, this whole mindset of relying on America and the friendship with America as if that's our anchor. And I want to play a response he gave to the question, what would we do without American aid? This is in the late 1980s, in the days that George Bush was president of the United States. And Rabbi Ghana was asked, like he was a million times, can Israel get along without America? The UN is not relevant. Western Europe is not relevant. The only, the only relevant possible relevant threat is America because it gives money. What in the world makes you think that America backs Israel because Israel is nice? Countries back other countries out of self-interest. And on the day that America feels that it is not to its self-interest to back Israel, it will not back Israel, even if Abba Iben would be the prime minister, God forbid. And my final answer is as a rabbi. You know, once upon a time, the Jew was a Jew of faith. We believed in the burning bush. And now we believe in George Bush. It's an incredible thing. Of course we have faith. I believe that Israel is God's hand. A people that wanders the earth for 1,900 years and, and suffers what we suffer and comes back to its own land, just as the Bible says. You think this is an ordinary thing? It just happens? Stam kacha? Of course not. But Jews don't have faith. No one, no one has faith. Not even Orthodox Jews have, have faith. Davin, you know, these may come with horses and chariots, but we have God. And then they, you know, take off their tefillin, take off their schnapps, talk politics. Well, we have to, we have to compromise because otherwise Bush won't give us horses and chariots. Five minutes or years, nobody hears what he davens. Nobody, nobody, nobody believes it. I believe, mm-hmm. I think that God is stronger than George Bush. And if, and if he isn't, he doesn't exist. That was Rabbi Kahana speaking about Israel's reliance on U.S. aid. Today we see the danger of it as trucks of humanitarian aid roll into Gaza every day. Before signing off, I want to ask my listeners if they would help me just spread the word a little more. I might be able to give a podcast and and give Shirim in the Tanakh as they do, but I'm not too adept at promoting it. And now an effort is being made to get the word out. So, you know, it's a big mitzvah to learn and to teach Torah. And anybody can learn Torah, but not everybody can teach Torah. But if you can help me teach Torah, then you have a part in teaching Torah. And not just any Torah, the Torah of Emes, the Torah of Rabbi Kahana, the Torah that's unfiltered, that will bring the Geula. So on the bottom of this page, you're going to see a little link. And by pressing that link, you'll be able to donate, not to me, so I can buy cake. 
I already have a job, but to help us get the word out. And so please look for the donation button on the bottom of this page. And of course, don't forget to tune into my Bible classes, Lenny Goldberg's Bible classes, to learn the Tanakh the proper way with Jewish commentators. We bring the great Perusha Maccabee of Rabbi Merkahana in Oshirim. And you know, when you learn Tanakh properly, the things I say in this podcast, they don't seem outrageous. They don't seem bombastic. Jewish truth bombs. No, it's just normal sanity. So press that donation button below and help me spread that too. And I'll be back next week, same time, same station.